Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Hey, good day, everyone. I'm Steve King, the Managing Director at Cyber Theory. Today's episode is going to focus on critical and design thinking as they should be applied in cybersecurity systems design. Joining me today is Brian Barnier the Distinguished Director of Analytics at ValueBridge Advisors and Professor of Operations, Finance, and Economics at the graduate level uh, across several U.S. universities, and has also been a guest lecturer in Russia and Mexico, and has also served on the faculty of the Wharton ABA Stonier Graduate School of Banking. In addition to all of that, Brian has written a business book, a bestseller, entitled The Operational Handbook for financial companies, and has been a contributing author to several other books on risk management. In prior lives, Brian has led teams to nine U.S. patents in technology with AT&T, Nokia, and IBM. Finally, Brian earned the coveted Joseph J. Wasserman Award this year by ISACA for Outstanding Achievement in Information Technology Risk governance and security, and by doing so, joins other notable folks like past winners, Phil Venables, Ron Ross, Gene Spafford, and Rob Clyde, of which we've had a couple on our program before. So welcome, Brian. I'm glad you could join me today. Hey, Steve. Absolutely delighted to be here. This is a fantastic topic and you know, never more needed than now. You're right. So before we jump into risk and cybersecurity, I want to give us a shameless plug about you designing and teaching a custom class in critical and design thinking for cybersecurity at our soon-to-be-launched cybered.io, which will be the best platform for cybersecurity education in the world. Please tell us about the coursework and why right now this topic is so important. Uh, Steve, it is uh, indeed so important. Uh, the coursework is a buildup. Uh, we start with the notion of intellectual curiosity because people have to be thinking and thinking differently given all the pressures that are going on in the world today. And from uh, intellectual curiosity, we go into critical thinking in general, you know, asking key questions and not just questions that are we're dreaming up, but questions that have been there in the world for millennia. These are Socratic questions that continue through and permeate all walks of life today. And then from there, we go into systems thinking to take a look at how these complex, uh, adaptive, complex, dynamic, complex, integrative systems are actually functioning. And cybersecurity is certainly one of those. But we're surrounded by these complex systems, just you know, our planet Earth and beyond. So take a look at that. The next thing we do is we bring in design. And we start with design from sort of a pure perspective that we might get uh, in aesthetics or fashion or style. But then we realize that there is this over century and again, millennia use where design interacts with technology and, and systems engineering in order to create things, whether that's way back in time, like the pyramids, or whether that is the latest and greatest uh, you know, features that we can interact with. Uh, online, non-fungible tokens, uh, adaptive AIs, whatever it is. But we need to understand how those systems work and how to understand systems to then carry us forward. 
that all rolls into, now we can do design thinking. And design thinking, uh, in some ways, you could think of as sort of an easy button or a lens, and that it provides a way to understand and to simplify complexity of all these uh, systems in which we work. So that's sort of the arc of the program. And it's not just the technical stuff, but it then goes into how to scale this in an organization. Because so many people try to come in with a great idea. They're motivated. They're fired up. They're you know, just waiting and ready to make change. But then they run into the great clash of the machine that's around them. So we want to empower them with some of the best of organizational change and transformation as well. And to answer your question about why, all we have to do is read the headlines. Breaches and spend are up. And yet, forensic analysis shows us that root cause of these breaches is cybersecurity math and method. We are our own worst enemy. And so it's not until we fix this that we're going to get this problem under control. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, it has been missing from our public education systems, both at the high school and college level for a long time. And it's so not just important in cybersecurity, but in all kinds of uh, innovation, uh, technology innovation as well. You've historically lectured um, on issues in operational risk management. How different is cyber risk compared to all of the other organizational or business risks that we that we face today? And what can professionals in cybersecurity do different or better than we have in the past? Yeah, so great question. You know, the differentiator in in cyber when we look at this in you know sort of a risk perspective is it's different in the scale of human actors seeking to do harm short of physical combat. Because we have all kinds of other hazards that are, you know, extremely destructive. You just go through the list of, you know, wildfires, hurricanes, uh, floods, whatever it is that are out there that are physically destructive to property and to especially people. So that's not new. And then, of course, we've got, you know, the whole sad, you know, history of the human race of physical combat, uh, killing people and doing property damage. What's coming in is the the technology piece. But again, that's not that new either, right? As soon as you had technology and go back to the original Greek word there for a minute, (laughs) you either wanted to destroy with it or figure out how to destroy it. And so all we're seeing is that, you know, new versions of technology are simply being weaponized or attacked in the same way that you had, you know, the proverbial caveman going each other with their stone hammers. For me, you know, I've been interacting with this for a long time, going back to launching IBM's first uh, secure messaging product, where we were focused, including not just on the financial sector, but we're looking at SCADA and industrial operations and securing that. And we're sitting back and talking about how cyber threats can be used to take down. We talked about Interesting enough, 20 years ago, we were focused on taking down pharmaceutical manufacturing facilities. And here we are in the days of COVID. (laughs) Um, We were talking about taking down water systems, right, which has happened recently. And so all these things aren't new. I can remember receiving an award in Washington, D.C. seven years ago talking about the attacks on uh, water systems. So this is not new. Uh, Remember, the first ransomware was 1989 right? This is not new. So, and then the whole notion of military of disrupting command and control is not new. 
And that was taken to a technological level and sort of the first Gulf War that had not been really seen at scale. So this stuff is not new. And that's where you come back to how do we ever lose critical thinking in our public schools so that people cannot piece together history to see how this unfolds. Great point, Steve. The OT world is uh, seems to me to be, you know, kind of a um, uncooperative partner in the attempt to better prepare our security defenses for inbound cyber attacks. And I wonder, you know, what it's going to take to get the folks in, that are responsible for ISC and SCADA systems to sort of stand up and say, hey, you know what? Maybe we can shut down our production line for eight hours and make, you know, to in, in install some whatever protective shield or an air gapping alternative that actually will work and so forth. But I, it's a huge risk now and, uh, and, and will be an imminent risk, I'm sure, in the next several months when we'll see many more colonial attacks. You spent a lot of uh, your background in financial and fintech. And folks, when they look at the different industry sectors, are sometimes confused about how they differ in terms of risk and cyber defense. So tell us, in your uh, estimation, what ways do financial and fintech businesses differ from manufacturers or healthcare providers? Yeah, I mean, when we go through and look at your great question here, it really breaks down to the nature of the system, second, attacker motivations, and third, human errors that come from the the humans that are working within that system, whether that's healthcare or fintech, or you just mentioned a moment ago, the OT or operational technology world. And so when we map these out, when we do scenarios, when we do wargaming, those are the elements that we're doing. The monster gap is that cybersecurity risk management and method is so deficient compared to other disciplines. And that's a really interesting thing because when you look at somebody that's in the OT world, for example, that's focused on uptime, which you just mentioned, and then they come in and they see the math and methods that are being used by cybersecurity people, a lot of ways they say this is amateur hour. I mean, just think about somebody that's in a big IT company, say an online retailer that's concerned with system uptime. And they look at the cybersecurity people and go, you're doing none of the math. You're doing none of the systems modeling. You're doing none of the uh, analysis. You're not doing none of the holistic aggregation aspects that we're doing. And you're coming in here and you're using you know, your amateur hour toolkit to try to do cybersecurity. And this is this gap that we've got there that came in. And when you look across the industries, another big piece of the industry is what's reinforcing the gap. And a lot of times it's the compliance environment. Pick healthcare. I'm just you know picking on them, but how many times do you see healthcare and the person in charge of risk is an attorney because they gotta comply with HIPAA, right? Or any regulated industry. You can pick on financial services or whatever. And so they're not really doing critical thinking, systems thinking design thinking to apply to solve a problem, they're sitting back and saying, what do we do to have our paperwork in order? And that's really a scary thing. Yeah, no no kidding. And to your point, you know, about 114 years ago, I was running uh, uh, IT for a major U.S. manufacturing company that had both a discrete and process manufacturing facilities. And the guy 
and we also manufactured computers, oddly enough. And so what the folks on the, you know, on the engineering side used to tell us that, uh, listen, just give us the key to the data center. You actually don't have to do anything. We got it. And that, that was their view, and, and rightly so, by the way. And that was their view of the competency of my IT teams and organizations. I mean, it's, it's a huge difference between, you know, back in those days and even today, and because we don't have the kind of engineering rigor that and on the IIT side that we have historically had on the on the on the electrical and, and mechanical side. And we don't understand how to do structured development in information technology. And the guys on that are building product that are designing chips and boards, those guys do understand that. So same thing's true, I think, across all those sectors. Healthcare. Oddly, you know, uh, it, it spends a, a tremendous amount of, of money on what you said, you know, compliance, legal, yada, yada. Yet they, they are also the most heavily hit. I think their response typically is, you know, hey, guys, we're saving lives here. You know, we can't be bothered with this stuff. Well, going back to the OT issue, we, you know, we have the Internet of Medical Devices, which are more and more dependent upon these you know, remote internet connections and software connections and so forth that are supposedly driving these things. So I can imagine today I could have somebody's life in my hands and ask for a hundred million bucks and what are they going to do? Yeah. I mean, you are so, so very right, Steve. I mean, as a person who's worked in cybersecurity for several decades, I'm constantly reminded of that because my own brother has a medical implant. You look at the the sophistication of the engineering in the implant. And then you look at the, the lack of sophistication in thinking about how all that connects together from a cybersecurity perspective. You know, I've got some sympathy for the, the engineers designing those devices because nobody's ever approached them in a systems context to say, you know, have the light bulb go on. They get hit with all this compliance stuff that they're supposed to do when they say, how do we're, how are we supposed to engineer for a legal document? Right. Not what is our objective? Again, you know, in the course, I quote, you know, people like W. Edwards Deming and Russell Acoff, great systems thinkers over and over. And they keep emphasizing this point that you cannot tell what a system does or the intent of a system by analyzing the piece parts. You know, and their famous example uh, from Acoff is if you were to look at a bunch of cars in the UK and a bunch of cars in the US or you know, right-hand, left-hand cars, wherever you are in the world, will anything about analyzing those cars tell you why one has a steering wheel on the right and the other has a steering wheel on the left? No. <laughs> and again, it goes back to Aristotle and his list of, of his causes or explanatory factors. We're not communicating with people. And that's why when we you know, work through these outcomes accelerator workshops that we're discussing in this curriculum with you, these get just so amazing results. I mean, I, my metric has always been six months of work in six weeks and cut costs and get better outcomes because it's been proven and practical in other areas for decades and centuries. This stuff works. Yeah. So I completely agree, Steve. I completely agree. Yeah, we've seen this recent surge of cybersecurity attacks on both businesses and on these uh, pipelines and food distribution networks and so forth and so on. We've had a sort of a shift in sort of a shift 
in uh, administration in government administration here in the United States in the last six months. What is your take on uh, the initiatives that you see coming out of Washington in addressing some of these issues? Do you feel like we're going to get some traction out of this, or is it just more sort of lip service to um, to the problem that uh, nobody's addressed uh, up until now? You know, I'm cautiously optimistic. The problem is every time you see some specifics come out, they're not going in the right direction and they're reinforcing the complications. You know, for example, you know, zero trust is sort of being compartmentalized. You know, there's zero trust. I think of John's work and applying it in the grand systems context and then another piece part. And then we look at why we have breaches and this compliance problem. And so much of the answer is we're Washington, we know how to do compliance. So we'll do more of compliance. And that just locks people in. I mean, when you look at, again, you got to do the forensic analysis on these things and you got to see how frequently the breaches, when you're doing proper forensic analysis, like in the systems world, like Ishikawa diagrams, fishbone diagrams, that kind of stuff, where you're actually understanding causes, like after space shuttles, you know, disasters, that kind of thing. When you break it down, it's the math and the method. And a lot of that method is driven by compliance. And the compliance method is largely driven by accounting auditing or financial reporting auditing in specific. And that came out of SOX, Sarbanes-Oxley Act. That was adapted from the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. You know, that goes back on your history of accounting in time back to, you know, Egyptian grain accounting, accounting to the, according to the accounting historians. That whole thing says we're using the method that we're going to use to audit an airplane pilot's hotel bill and taxi bill or whatever it is. And we're going to then take that and apply it to flying an airplane in a storm and expecting you know, a passenger airliner to rise safely. That is just a monster category error. And to the extent that Washington gives us more financial reporting approaches to solving a complex, dynamic, integrative system problem, we're going to be spending more money and we're going to be just opening the door to more, more breaches. Because that is is just unsustainable. That is a category error. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, right? We have um, adversaries in various countries who we're accusing of attacking us, China and Russia, of course. And at the same time, there are lots of voices in Washington that want to increase sanctions on China and want to impose trade restrictions on China in many cases, for very good reasons. And I guess this could, you know, this becomes uh, existential, I suppose, if you stand back far enough. But down in the physical moment uh, of reality, the uh, you've got just as many companies, most of them in high tech, most of them in Silicon Valley, that are pushing Congress and the, our government very, very hard undoing those sanctions. And and releasing those trade restrictions so that we can do more business with China. And yet, you know, we've declared from the FCC that a company like Huawei can't be relied upon to provide, you know, safe telecommunications equipment to the United States. And so it's an interesting contrast, right? I mean, which is it? Do we... (laughs) 
Do we err on the side of safety or do we err on the side of economic progress, I guess, for us? Yeah, I mean, you're making great points. And one of the things that we should give kudos here, you mentioned Ron Ross already and his NIST 800-160 systems engineering for trustworthy computing systems is an example of good systems thinking. That's the right direction to go. But that gets caught in the middle of the geopolitics you just mentioned. And if we go back to sort of the history, we've always had this issue of technology and um, geopolitics that has taken place. I mean, I'm sitting here in New England. You look at Boston, you look at New York, and you know, go back 200 years, they're trying to find surreptitious ways to get technology from their formal colonial power by hiring the employees in. Uh, to teach them how do you do these new manufacturing things that are starting to come along, right? Especially when you get to like 1860 or thereabouts. And we had the U.S. Civil War and we needed to increase manufacturing capability. And so here's an issue where the United States was on the beggar side of that equation. But then you go back to look at the Levant and you look at, you know, the whole, you know, history there and what today we think of as the, the Middle East and ancient Persia and Greece and the Medio Persian Empire. And these are the same kinds of geopolitical issues that we saw then, except now we're using it with Huawei systems and telecommunications instead of the methods and technologies that were there. And the, the concern is that we get the right kind of integrative view of these things in order to solve the problem that you just. You just mentioned, but it, it comes back to that critical thinking, systems thinking, and design thinking so that people can see how the whole works. And again, that's why kudos to Ron and his 800 NIST. Yeah, sure. And, but, you know, and God bless Ron uh, for every one of him. There are a hundred other. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe a thousand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Right. So, so final question. Let, let me. I the thing about I want to get back to the as a risk professional, which is among several other things, what you indeed are. I'm curious as to your view on the recent surge of these attacks. And and again, if you look back over the last six months, it's like twice or three times the amount of activity we had in the second half of 2020. And I assume we're going to have twice as much in the second half of 2021 as well. What is the impact on business generally and specifically the recent critical infrastructure storm that we talked about earlier? How does that inform risk professionals who are dependent upon natural resources to power their businesses? Like we know, for example, that if we're going, if, if Biden's executive order about getting to you know, electric cars by 2035 that's all well and good, except guess who owns all of the battery technology, all of the natural resources for battery technology in the world? China, right? So what are the risk discussions that are going on businesses now and how are they thinking about accommodating, you know, a real big new business continuity threat? I would like to say that there's all this robust conversation going on. If it is, you know, in all the circles that I participate, I'm not seeing it. <laughs> The, the business continuity community, we you know where I'm you know, fairly active, they're not there. They're dealing with the, at best, they're dealing with the critical infrastructure disruption threats. So they're saying, 
you know, what happens if our assembly line goes down or, you know, what happens if we lose water access or, you know, any of those things, electrical utilities. But we come into this quickly, this issue of the methods problems, right? Because the stuff we've been using, or say NERC, the Energy Reliability Commission, is using for electric utility grid is not the same kinds of methods being used for cybersecurity that's bringing in way too much of this compliance and financial reporting audit uh, aspects. So you've got an issue there. Now, when you jump to the other end of the spectrum around the geopolitics, that's where you go back to the piece before, and you're getting a lot more geopolitical analysis that's being wrapped around technology. I mean, I can think of a couple firms that are doing more of that. Some are scrambling to bring in a sufficient amount of the technology aspect in order to understand how these are going, because they haven't traditionally had to do that in geopolitical analysis, at least not going back to, you know, World War II, where we were very concerned about resource limitations and constraints. And can we get our hands on the raw materials we need to make uh, war material? And you had the War Production Board, uh, for example, that Franklin Roosevelt created. So that was a category of issue. Now they've got to sort of work their way to both recovering that knowledge and then applying it to the geopolitical situation that we're in. And again, it's critical thinking and systems thinking. Because all these piece parts are not being connected enough in seeing the whole implication, that's where the ball is hitting the ground in this conversation. And that is, to your point, very much of a, of a concern and a threat when we're bringing this together. Because you're always trying to increase uh, economic entanglement as a way to have peace, right? But at the same time, whether it's the Trump administration, the Biden administration, or administration in some other country, you're faced with what's my trigger? What are the lines that I'm going to cross? What are the tripwires? If you take this island in the Pacific, will I go to war over that or not? And it's salami tactics, as uh, some people have called it in the geopolitical history. Yeah, sure. You slice the salami, right? right One right. piece, is that enough to go to war? Another piece, is that enough to war? They're never going to confront completely, right? It's right. always salami tactics. That's the big geopolitical threat thing. How do you articulate what your threat lines are? It's a game of articulation. This is really a threat line. Do not go there. How do we make that compelling? And how do we illustrate that we are willing to go to war if you take down X number of hospitals. If you kill so many people in hospitals, we will go to armed combat over that. That is the issue. And Graham Allison and Philip Zelikow's book on this is the one that I would recommend. Uh, Allison wrote after the um, Cuban Missile Crisis, and then they did a 20-year anniversary version with Philip Zelikow. It's a very good book uh, on that topic. Yes, well... (laughs) Understanding history is always helpful. You got it, Steve. You got yeah, it absolutely yeah. positively. That's a free nugget of, of knowledge <laughs> for today. Yeah, right. Brian, this has been fantastic. I'm afraid we're out of time. I'm over time, actually. And uh, But, you know, I mean, these are topics that you know, we could talk about for days and weeks and still not kind of scratch the surface. There's so much. There's so much to unpack here and so much that affects our daily lives. And 
we're now seeing that cybersecurity is like kind of a wake up call to, you know, average walk around citizens who, you know, had to stand in gas lines for six hours to fill up a plastic bag full of garbage bag full of gasoline. I mean, my God, you know, what? <laughs> so, so in a way that's terrific. I'm, I'm glad that uh, folks, regular folks are paying attention here. So I want to thank you, Brian, again, for taking time out of your schedule to to join me in what I hope was an interesting exchange. And we and we need to schedule something in the, you know, October-ish timeframe to come back and talk some more about what's happened between now and then. Yeah, I'm delighted to be here, Steve. It is a privilege. You are just such a great thinker and writer in the way that you communicate this stuff to people. I hope I've done justice to your literary skill. These are truly topics that deserve critical thinking as you open up this conversation. So thank you. Delighted to be here. Look forward to more. Very kind words, Brian. Uh, put a check in the mail today for a hundred bucks. <laughs> thank you to our listeners for joining us in another one of Cyber Theory's unplugged reviews of the complex, freaky, and scary world of cybersecurity technology and the new digital reality in which we all find ourselves. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve King, signing out. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at CyberTheory or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.